Lovers, this episode is sponsored by Blue Chew. We all know that there is more to confidence in the bedroom or the kitchen or the sex club or a stairwell or the woods or wherever you are. There's so much more to sex wherever you do it than just jackhammering away. But if all you're missing in your relationship is some mutually beneficial stiffness, check out BlueChew.com. BlueChew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra, Cialis, and Levitra, but in chewable tablets and at a fraction of the cost. You can take them anytime, day or night, so you can plan ahead or be ready whenever an opportunity arises. The process is simple. Sign up at BlueChew.com, consult with one of their licensed medical providers, and once you are approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. The best part? It's all done online, so no visits to the doctor's office with the doctors that never got trained in sex ed and how to talk to people about it, plus no waiting in line at the pharmacy. Blue Chew's tablets are made in the USA and prepared and shipped direct to your door in a discreet pack. They say that there is nothing sexier than confidence, and Blue Chew can help give you confidence where it counts. Of course, I know you sweet listeners know that using confidence to connect, if you can be confident enough to be really vulnerable with someone, to communicate, to create a safe space that you occupy together, that is super hot. That's the foundation of a connection. And if you have a boner, that can definitely help you do certain things that you know that I love, just as long as you don't skip all the other stuff too. Blue Chew and I want you to have better sex. Discover your options at bluechew.com. And as they say, chew it and do it. And we've got a special deal for our listeners. Try Blue Chew free when you use our promo code LOVER. At checkout, you just pay $5 shipping. That is bluechew.com promo code LOVER to receive your first month free. Visit bluechew.com for more details and important safety information. And thank you to Blue Chew for sponsoring the podcast. Oh, this is such a special treat. We have Casey back to tell us some more details. Hi, how are you? Hey, how are you? I'm doing great. Yay, good. So there's some stuff that we need to catch up on. For example, your love of deep throating, which we really didn't get to. So I really like deep throating. <laughs> I originally was sort of turned off to the idea from what I had seen in porn. But when I discovered that during a 69, you're at the right angle to be pretty deep. I was like, wait a minute, I actually like this pretty good. And when I first figured out how to hang my head over the edge of the bed so that he could do it that way, yeah, that was pretty awesome. Amazing. I really like that. I think like we talked about, my partner and I are a little bit on different paces with moving into new novelty area. So he doesn't always jump at the chance to do that. But when he wants to, I really like it. And I think it's super fun. I think because, you know, we're exclusive with each other and he gets to come down my throat. That's pretty exciting, too. Okay, so. that was what I... Okay, okay, okay. So, wait, and have you been on both sides or are you a receiver? I have been receiver. I want to try being the giver and having him hang his head over the edge of the bed like that. Uh -huh. He just doesn't love oral as much as I do, okay. you know, as give as much. And right. he certainly will. And I think, you know, when I come to him with a legitimate idea and a, you know, respectful proposition, he's like, okay, right? Like, I don't, I don't think he'll... I don't think he'll turn it down. It just hasn't been the moment yet. Yeah, yeah. Having someone come down my throat is a great fantasy of mine that I've not yet achieved. Can you feel it? What's it like? Tell us. Well, you know, once you get all the way past your oropharynx, there's not a lot of sensation back there. When he did it, I my head's upside down and I'm holding his hips. And I pushed him back just enough as he was coming. So I like was catching it on the back of my throat and I could feel it and taste it and it's incredible <laughs> dude that seems like a pro move did you just like know to do that because of your anatomy yeah once you get past the epiglottis and stuff at the back of your throat you're not feeling a whole lot so i knew that's how i wanted to feel it when he came and it was like gobs felt like gallons <laughs> wow i'm also really curious to <laughs> Okay, my specific curiosity with someone coming in my throat is I'm just like, uh -huh. could I, f if they stayed all the way in, could I feel the pulsation? Short answer, yes, I could feel that. You could yeah, feel I wasn't like trying to feel it with my hand from the outside, but I feel him moving inside. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And have you put your hand like on your throat while receiving, like to feel that part ever? I've done that a little bit. Now that I've heard, yeah, I do want to do that. Just, and that's just the part of me that's just very curious about, I guess, sensations. Oh, here's a question that I have. So we're recording this and I have COVID round two, just a little bit, just a little hint of mild COVID this time. Something that is, that makes absolutely no sense, but is my current real experience is my sense of taste and smell 
much more heightened than they've ever been. Yep, opposite. Last so last year, so I I lost my sense of taste and smell originally when I was like 16 and got mono really bad. And it's been like back, you know, it's better when I don't eat sugar. And then when I got COVID last year, like lemons and garlic have not gone back to tasting the same. Although I haven't had a lemon. <gasps> Maybe I'll go test a lemon today. But when I was sick the first day, I like woke up and I was like, wow, I smell horrible. Must have been bad night sweats. And then I was like trying to feed myself food. And I was like, I need something bland, maybe a pancake. And then I like couldn't eat like a pancake was too rich and too, you know, stinky. Like it was too much. Yeah. So my question, all that is a way to say, do you smell stuff when you like, I never thought about like smells and people's sensitivity to oral or deep throating. Like, have you ever had like smell be a big part of your sexual experience, especially with deep throating related or not? I mean, when I'm deep throating, and I'm upside down like that. My nose is like, you know, in his taint. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just the smell of like, we're clean when we do this, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, I don't wouldn't want to do it if he hadn't recently showered. So it just smells like clean man, my man okay. smell. That's awesome. And it's good and has a smell too. Like, I think we all know that like, come, ha- like, come it's, it's difficult to the smell of cum but it's like this you know musty warm sticky smell and so that smells going on down there too do you like the smell of cum i'm like i don't know if i could put it as a like i think i do like it because it's related to coming i don't know i don't want it to get musty and dry. well sometimes i do want it to get musty and dry on me but maybe not the <laughs> smell part and now i'm like fuck have i just been so stinky and i don't know it i don't know hopefully people would tell me i like cum in general yeah for a little bit Right. Like when it's still warm and we've just done this and it is like part of the immediate experience. I like it. But after a few minutes, I'm ready to wash it off. With your previous partner, did you ever play with deep throating? She liked to deep throat just fine. I never loved receiving oral that much with her. I thought about that and whether it was because the experience of oral is a little more like you're down there and I'm up here. I could get in my head more and then occasionally I might think about being with a guy or something and then I would feel shame about that kind of thought. And so it took energy for me to like stay present in the ears. And I'm not sure if that's the reason that I didn't really want to do oral a lot or if it was because she just wasn't as good at it because but I can tell you it's a lot different now. And, you know, maybe my current partner, you know, he's got a penis and maybe he just gets how it's supposed to feel a lot. But I remember of contention with my wife because her partners in the past had thought she was really good at giving blowjobs and she expected to be able to make me come that way. But in the whole time we were married, I never came that way. Mm, okay. So I think it was just something unique to that experience. Yeah. Well, it also sounds like you weren't trying hard to like make yourself come at the mouth of her blowjob, you know, like, like it wasn't perhaps not a priority. Well, it was an objective for her. And oh, like I her. mentioned, you know, Anytime I didn't come, kind of a tense experience because she immediately was would make that about her and either her inability or her inadequacy or my same-sex attraction and I'm not really interested in her because yeah. I'm interested in her, right? So she would make that mean a lot of things if I didn't come. Well, that is quite a mindfuck. Yeah, so, so there was a lot of meaning-making going on. And so I just had to tell her, I just don't care for it that much. And it didn't make a lot of sense to her. I was just like, I love having sex. Like, let's just do that. And so we would do it sometimes as like a warm up. But once she kind of released the idea that I needed to come that way, it got a lot easier and we just didn't do it a whole bunch. I mean, doesn't that make sex better all the time when someone like, don't get me wrong, I want to come. But when that's the only thing we're doing, then there's no time for me to actually just like do the enjoying in between. And that's what makes me come. I would rather get edged all session and come once. Well, where do you want to go next? Ex-gay therapy? Kind of related to the blowjob stuff. Yeah. So I think my experience of the whole ex-gay community is, uh, it's a really interesting journey. You know, so I grew up in a really conservative Christian denomination. And the word homosexuality is never used without the word abomination in that group, right? So I grew up, you know, hating this part of myself and went through a, pretty significant season of, I guess you call it passive suicidality, because I felt like I couldn't be gay and be loved by God or anybody else. And I couldn't love God and be a good Christian and be my actual self. 
So there was just a lot of internal turmoil around that. But one, my wife and I met and got married and she was willing to accept me despite, you know, this brokenness that I felt I had. I felt like things had come full circle and certainly this was just, you know, meant to be and that God would take care of me despite my struggle, right? Like that I had found the right person to walk with me through this. And it was after meeting her that I wound up an ex-gay ministry that was sort of specific to this struggle is the word that I learned to use. Mm -hmm. It's true. Struggle, right? Trying to stuff part of yourself away is a struggle. (laughs) It doesn't work. If you haven't seen the documentary Pray Away on Netflix, it's one that I'd recommend to anybody who wants some perspective on this because I wound up a part of one of the largest and sort of flagship ministries like this in the country. Uh, And it's featured in that documentary. And I felt initially really refreshed. I was really nervous about going, right? It was kind of a scary step to take. But then once I was there, and of course, this ministry is full of a bunch of men and women who come from the same sort of biblical worldview. And this is not like our parents sent our teenagers to this scary ex-gay conversion, right? It's not like that. This is adults and some teenagers, but everyone has chosen to be here as part of this church ministry. And we would meet weekly and talk about the way our past week had been. And so we would share a number and he would ask us, you know, okay, what's your number for this week? And one or zero would be like, I didn't have any struggles with gay thoughts. I didn't watch any gay porn. I didn't, you know, have any hookups. I was pretty straight this week, basically. (laughs) Or 10 would be like, you know, I hooked up and had gay sex with someone. And so you'd kind of share your number with the group in a small group, then get to just hear stories from everyone and offer support. And I'm sure from your listeners who don't come from a Christian background think, oh my gosh, that sounds horrible and shamey. And somewhere underneath there, there is the belief that this is wrong and we need to be stuffing ourselves away to be more like Jesus. However, when you're in that paradigm, this felt like the first place ever that I really could be myself Mm. because everybody here understood this internal dilemma I was having. They all got it, right? Whether they had ever lived an openly gay lifestyle or if they were like me and had had these desires in secret their whole life and were in a straight relationship, everybody just understood. And so in that sense, it was really freeing and I felt like I had found my people, right? Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, we get it. And so for several years, I was going to this ministry and making some friends. The challenge was, it was anonymous, almost like AA. So you're only allowed to share first names and you're not allowed to give any of your personal information, which in retrospect, I think is funny because if the truth is that we're not made this way and we're just, you know, brokenness and we can be healed from this, then why do we need anonymity to keep everyone from falling back into their ways and hooking up, right? The idea that we need anonymity to protect everyone here is as if we believe that you can't help yourself. And maybe, Mm -hmm. in fact, you're made this way. Do you know what I mean? I feel like that whole... Yeah. And heaven forbid you should connect outside of where there's powerful watchers and maybe, I don't know, support each other in being your actual selves and following your actual desire. But if they believe that if you do have those outside relationships, you're probably going to wind up having sex. Well, then what are you saying you believe about homosexuality? I guess we believe it actually is something we can't get away from. And that sort of flies in the face of their whole dogma. So that didn't really dawn on me until later. (laughs) Well, of course not. And so you can make some relationships, but they only exist inside this little micro world. And so when you're not in that micro world, you still are floating around in space feeling like you don't belong anywhere. Mm -hmm. And then it was after I had left that city and away from that ministry that things fell apart with my wife and I moved into my relationship with my new partner. Mm -hmm. And I reached out to the director and told him what had been happening. And, you know, this was not a place where anyone was ever directly shameful or condemning. It was a very loving atmosphere, right? Mm -hmm. They just come from a different worldview about what God wants for our lives. So it's difficult because I on one hand, feel like that ideology is damaging to a lot of people who don't feel like they can be themselves and they grow up feeling like they have to contort 
their insides to be what other people want or to be what other people say God wants. However, when that was the ideology I already had, and I came to this group of people, I felt welcomed and loved and validated and cared for. So I can't really demonize all the individuals in it, and I can't demonize their desire to help people. I can just say that the ideology at the core of it is flawed. And it makes for some problematic stuff down the road. So, yeah, I have mixed feelings about it. I think, uh, you know, the documentary that I mentioned, you know, it pretty much demonizes the whole thing, which is a perspective that you can take. I I won't disagree that it was damaging and that, you know, a lot of the things I learned there were probably things that kept me bound inside a toxic marriage Mm. because I felt like I couldn't leave and that, you know, I was so fortunate to be married. I was one of the only ones in the group that was married. So I was pulled up as this example of like, look what God can do if you obey him. Oh, wow. You know, it's carrying a lot of, a lot of stuff. I wonder how many of us have felt deeply wrong or disconnected or just other because of our sexual selves. Because like, I never had the particular like religious, you can't be gay thing, but I have my whole life had the sort of like, you're not supposed to be that sexual still. You know, and I totally can relate to my own versions of finding these like snippets of community where I'm like, oh, this part of me is okay here. I don't have to be. And then only later being like, all right, but there are all these other parts where my full self, it's still not my full self being welcome. And actually, I want I want friends, family and community where my full self is welcome. And I really just I wonder how many of us really share that experience, especially related to sex. Absolutely. I think a lot of people, I think so many things are pushed into the dark and into the closet. Yeah. I think you, know, you mentioned that acceptance. I think with my partner, you know, in our bedroom is the only place I've ever felt wholly accepted that way as my whole self. And it's so liberating. And I'm so grateful to him for that. I think we find ourselves caught in a weird place now because I still consider myself a Christian. I still believe a lot of the things I was raised with, but I've had to reconcile the reality of my life and how good that it is with all the things I once believed about how terrible it would be and evil and wrong. And I've come to a place now where I feel closer to God than I ever have. But it's like, I am can't be a good Christian because I'm too gay. And I'm not a good gay guy because there are pieces of the stereotypical gay lifestyle that I don't participate in or don't feel comfortable doing because we're approaching this relationship as a, you know, more quote traditional monogamous relationship yeah and it's not to say there are not plenty of gay people who do that it's just we feel a little bit still between two worlds yeah and trying to figure out you know are there other gay guys like us who aren't on grinder and having hookups all the time <laughs> yeah, yeah and where can i find those you know other gay parents who want to just hang out yeah <laughs> yeah absolutely outside the scope of the podcast probably but that's just the where we the moment we kind of find ourselves in is like we are feel really wonderful and happy in our little world, but we're having trouble expanding that to any community. We feel like we don't really belong. Yes. That community witnessing is important and the community connection and the sharing, like that stuff does matter for humans. And can I ask, how did you reconcile? Are you part of a new congregation that is like gay accepting or how could just for anyone out there who is Christian, who maybe is in a similar position, I would love to hear more about that part of your journey. Yeah, I mean, it took me a long time. It, it was probably a good year of just therapy and trying to learn to trust my own experience of the world and listen to my own feelings and learn that God really always loved me the way that I was. And in that, I sort of was able to right the ship on my own personal spirituality and then began asking, well, where do we belong in terms of like a faith community? You know, because it also in an interesting position, you know, being somebody who holds to the person of Jesus and who he was, and I believe he wanted us to be in the world. I wasn't looking for a church where we just sort of throw out the whole of the Bible as anything important, and there really aren't any rules, and it's all just free love for everybody. And it gets totally loose theologically, right? Like, I mm-hmm. still felt like I had a place where there was some parameters on this theological space. And at the same time, could not go back to the legalism and strict 
rule adherence to the law and condemnation and shame that I was yeah. in before. And there are a lot of churches now, I found that <laughs> they're really good at making a pretty publicly acceptable, socially liberal looking exterior to bring lots of people in the door. Mm-hmm. But lurking under that is some pretty regressive theology about a lot of things that they aren't showing publicly because it's not popular anymore. I bumped into that a couple times, but then finally found a community where I feel like they are still committed to the person of Jesus and following God the way that I aspire to. And at the same time, remember that Jesus never excluded anybody, not anybody. And that that is the kind of community I want to be a part of. And it's been really refreshing to see that that exists because I came up believing that that wasn't a real place, right? There, you couldn't really have God and a diverse group of people and, you know, diverse sexuality and whatever else. They couldn't coexist. But that's not true. And that's I'm true. great to have that place now. Beautiful. Yeah. The more that I do learn about Jesus, the more I'm like, mm, he sounds like a lover. Just saying. Sounds like <laughs> a lover, not a fighter. I don't know. It's just a shame now to feel like, you know, I think on your podcast, I can probably speak openly about this, the sort of flagrant rise in this Christian nationalism that is sweeping our country and causing a lot of problems is the furthest thing from the person of Jesus I've ever seen. Yeah. But he gets co-opted by all of these movements. And it is really hard and painful to watch because I want other people to know the Jesus that I know. Yeah. But there's a whole bunch of crap getting in the way of anybody reaching that Jesus because of the picture painted and the things that his quote followers do. Totally. Lovers, this episode is sponsored by Blue Chew. If you were listening to this, you are probably like me and you love sex. And you also know that fantastic sex takes more than just a boner. But if that's all that's missing in your connection with your partner, check out bluechew.com. Blue Chew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra, Cialis, and Levitra, but in chewable tablets at a fraction of the cost. You can take them anytime, day or night, so you can plan ahead or be ready whenever the opportunity arises. You know, that's my favorite. The process is simple. Sign up at BlueChew.com, consult with one of their licensed medical providers, and once you're approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. The best part, it's all done online, so no visits to the doctor's office, No dealing with the awkwardness that exists because physicians are not often given great guidance about how to talk about sensitive personal things like boner softness, plus no waiting in line at the pharmacy. Blue Chew's tablets are made in the USA and prepared and shipped direct to your door in a discreet pack. With Blue Chew, penis owners everywhere are excited to see the postman because when your package has arrived, your package has arrived. And you know I love a good package. And I have to say, am I allowed to say this? It was very hot when I had a partner who I already had a good, trusting, open relationship. He'd been working on his anxiety, cutting down on screens, meditating, he quit smoking, he started exercising regular, cutting out processed foods, all of that stuff. He was just of a certain age, and I'll just say... The night that he told me he was making his package arrive, it was a very super hot extra layer of turn-on for me personally. So if it's for you, this is a super convenient resource. Blue Chew wants to help you have better sex. Discover your options at bluechew.com, chew it, and do it. And we've got a special deal for our listeners. Try Blue Chew free when you use our promo code LOVER at checkout. You just pay $5 for shipping. That's bluechew.com, promo code LOVER to receive your first month free. Visit bluechew.com for more details and important safety information. And thank you to Blue Chew for sponsoring the podcast. Also, just for anyone listening and or for you, there's a book that I read called God and Sex, I believe by Michael Coogan. Wildly fascinating. Wildly fascinating to be taken through some of the specific passages that have been used as kind of like evidence against, basically against sex in all these different ways and to just hear the different parts that are broken down by biblical scholar who is like super duper into it. And I'm I'm very curious to get kind of like more into that world. Like I read that book and I had to stop myself from like going down a theology rabbit hole because now I'm like, well, I should just learn everything about theology and then I'll come back to sex. And I was like, okay, life is only so long. So if there's anybody listening to the podcast that is like me and is like trying to figure out their sexuality, but feels like they can't because of whatever religious rules. I read a really good book called Changing Our Minds by David Gushy, who's a, like a biblical ethicist. So he's very committed to the ethics of the Bible and takes it seriously. And at the same time, really wanted to address the issue of homosexuality and the way that the church should be 
loving and treating people who are homosexual. It's a lot of us. Yes. Lot of us. And I thought it was excellent. It was really good. Awesome. And I think it, it's also been a good bridge builder for me for people who are still in my life who have not come around to the idea of me being gay. Right. And being able to say, you know, your beliefs are your own and I'm not going to run from that. Uh, at the same time, consider looking at this book because maybe there's a perspective you haven't seen. And then the other one is a book called Jonathan Love David, which is about the story of David and Jonathan in the Bible that has been framed a lot of different ways. It was framed in my previous worldview as really just a model of male friendship that was certainly not homosexual. In different readings and interpretations, it's quite possible that John Jonathan and David were gay. The type of gay relationship that maybe I'm having today with my partner was not something that was even a consideration right. in that time in history. We don't talk about monogamous homosexual relationships in the Bible because they just were not something to be considered in the way that they are today in the same way that flat screen TVs were not something considered in the Bible either. Yeah. <laughs> Any kind of marriage, like hundreds of years, like modern marriage is not what it was back then. Yes. So that were really good if there's anybody out there who is dealing with reconciling their faith and their sexuality. That's so cool. Okay. I don't want to put stories in your mouth, but I am curious if you feel like there is any sort of link between the kind of like upbringing you had that professed this monogamous model of relationship and sort of the codependence stuff that you experience. Like, I would love to hear you speak a little bit about that. I'm glad you asked. I do feel like the model of marriage that I learned in the church contributed to my codependency because it put all the responsibility on me as the man to like lead my wife correctly. And when I went to a couple of church leaders at different times, when my wife was really struggling emotionally with some high reactivity and some destructive behaviors that were really damaging to me and to our home environment, I was basically told, if you would read the Bible more and lead your wife better, she wouldn't be doing these things. And so it put all the responsibility on me for her feelings, which is something I already grew up with just from, you know, being sort of trained into codependency by my family environment. Mm -hmm. So that's compounded with the church teaching really just made me feel like I had to keep all the plates spinning and it was all on me. And I felt, you know, like I needed to take care of her and lead her in all these ways, allow me any room to experience or share my own emotions or feel my own feelings even. Yeah. That piece right there, I wonder how many people, how many men especially out in the world feel, but how many people in any way? God, when we cannot share our feelings, when our own feelings don't have space to like get examined or explored or anything, then there's no room for desire and then there's no room for mutual desire or connection or the type of growth that lets a human feel like lit up and like life is worth living, at least my own personal experience. That's a great way to phrase it. I think it can be especially hard for men who find themselves in a codependent yeah. relationship where they're being mistreated because there's so much shame around allowing yourself to be treated badly. Like, you know, the idea that I was supposed to reveal that my wife was breaking shit and calling me names and being physically violent, that was not something I felt I could reveal. And some of that's my own pride. Like, I can own that piece that I was really just too proud to admit that it was bad. But where does pride come from? Socialization. Like the things that we right. are proud of. It's part of the whole everything. And I was taught to value all that, you know, strong husband stuff. So I didn't feel I could even be honest about what was going on. Yeah. And it kept me silent along with all that internalized shame about my homosexuality and having lived through a broken home. My parents were divorced when I was young. I was so committed to the idea of staying married for my own sake. And because divorce is only permitted in a couple of circumstances explicitly in the Bible. So even after things had gotten really, truly dangerous with my wife, I went to church people and explained that I needed to file for a divorce and was basically told that they wouldn't support me because it wasn't a permitted criteria, right? So my own well-being was not enough to justify ending my marriage. 
I mean, what do we have on this earth if not our well-being? Like as a physical, literal being, like what else do we have? Right. And I think that's just some of the pretty warped. Now I don't believe the Bible would ever endorse that position. But I have said a whole lot of scripture and rhetoric that said the Bible says you got to be married unless, you know, there's upright infidelity. And, you know, my situation didn't fit any of those specific contexts. So it just wasn't okay for me to get divorced. But I can tell you a couple of years later that my kids and I are all thriving, even though we had to let go of the perfect family that I had been struggling so hard after. I want to just highlight that. Like, I want to actually highlight that you said you and your family are now thriving because the shape changed and you let it. That I think is awesome. I also want to talk about this word infidelity for a second. It's like we only ever consider the use of that word as it relates to sex, which is very funny to me. But the origin is late Middle English in the senses of lack of faith and disloyalty from the old French infidelité or infidelitas, um, so not faithful. So for me, infidelity, like if you are not going to be faithful to the commitment, it's not just about sex. It's about upholding that whole everything, which I'm sure, you know, I don't need to speak to you about. It is so interesting how these words are used commonly. And like, I love to nerdy language noodle when we give ourselves time. I just want to tell anybody listening who might be in a relationship where they're not being treated well, that it doesn't matter what other stuff you've been taught. You don't deserve that. And it is okay and right for you to own your own power in that relationship and leave if you need to. And if you find yourself resenting the other person for the way they're treating you, it's time for you to stop asking yourself why they're doing what they're doing and start asking yourself why you are tolerating that behavior. And what do you believe about yourself you here? Because there is something that relationship is doing something for you or you wouldn't be there at all. And in my case, the relationship was propping up my sense of self because it allowed me to be the husband and father and all the things that I thought I needed to be to be loved and accepted by the world. So whatever that bad relationship is doing for you, it's time to examine that and ask yourself, what is keeping me here? And is it worth the way I'm being treated? And if you're tolerating unacceptable behavior, it's time to make a change so that you can live your own life. Yes, we deserve that. Thank you. I've learned a lot in therapy. Go to therapy also. Go to therapy. I want people to go to therapy so bad. So I actually just got out of an EMDR session today, right before this. Okay. And I can't even say enough about that. It's so powerful. It has allowed me to jump back into old feelings and events that I didn't even realize were affecting me so much and unpack that. So I just, I can't say enough about therapy in general and about EMDR. I'm really curious about exploring EMDR myself because I've been learning a lot about the different modalities and like the Huberman lab does kind of a neuroscience like deep dive on it and therapy stuff and but also EMDR and I have a couple friends who've had incredible success you know I still have my little route that needs to get explored I think of this not the girl thing because I've been going on dates and it was like going so well for a minute and then it's like I'm like oh these are the same patterns and it's like I think I'm doing different stuff and so that just is a signal that it's probably older than I realize in terms of my developmental stuff. Lovers, we are going to take a quick pause for a word from our sponsor, and they have given me notes to do a sultry female voice, so I'm very excited and I'm going to do my best. Did you know the Flora app is a safe place to open up, embrace your desires, and find like-minded people? This is the story of one couple who found the threesome of their dreams, discovered a new level of shared passion, and stepped into a whole other realm of possibilities, all thanks to Fleur. As life's routine settled in, Robert and Lucy found themselves yearning to explore uncharted territories. So they downloaded Fleur and embarked upon a thrilling journey of sensual experimentation, learning more about each other's desires in the process. Open-minded and adventurous, Robert and Lucy dreamt of adding a new dimension to their intimacy, sharing the touch of another woman, being witnessed and connecting in a way that transcends the ordinary. In Fleur's diverse and accepting community, Lucy connected with Emily, a babe craving the same experiences. So they invited Robert to the conversation. The chemistry built and anticipation heightened as they exchanged messages until finally their agreed-upon date night arrived. A gorgeous hotel was the setting for their evening of pleasure, passion, and connection. A shared exploration that fulfilled each party's desires. 
Floor app celebrates the beauty of open-minded connections. It's a platform where fantasies come to life and desires are embraced without judgment. For couples seeking adventure with others or individuals keen on exploring, Floor invites us all to a world where every desire is a possibility waiting to unfold. Download Floor now, express your desires freely, and find like-minded people today. Do you want to talk a little bit about the things that you did like in heterosexual sex? We didn't really talk about that a lot, or the things that you didn't. We heard a little bit about blowjobs. <laughs> so in Sex with My Wife, I liked having connected sex then, too. So I liked when it was you know, emotional and exciting. I liked the challenge of trying to make sure she had an orgasm every time. Just learning over time what, I guess, her buttons were, right? The things that made it special for her. And we never did try anal at all. Right at the end, I think she kind of got it into her head that I must want to do anal because I'm attracted to men, right? But at the time, I didn't really have that much interest. And I was so unfamiliar with it. Like I didn't want to deal with a mess and I didn't want, like I just, it, I, at the time I was not ready to try it, yeah. but it took a while to convince her like, no, we don't need to do that. Like I'm not, I'm not chomping at the bit to do anal just because I am into dudes. I liked eating her out. It wasn't something that I thought I would like at the beginning and it needed to be like we've talked about smells are not good. So things needed to be clean. <laughs> and not sweaty, but I didn't mind the experience of doing that. And I loved how it made her feel and how just exciting the whole experience would be. You didn't mind it, but w- but it wasn't something you necessarily like craved or look forward to. I wouldn't say that I craved it. I loved the experience of making her feel good more than I loved the experience of actually performing that on her. But the whole thing was positive. It's not like I was doing something I didn't want to do. Right, right, right. I was happy. It just wasn't my favorite thing. I know some guys really, I think, get off on the whole idea of doing it. And that's like just part of the arousal. The idea, the smell, the taste. I do remember the first time that I met someone where I was like, really? Like I was suspicious of it too, because my experience up till that point had just been people kind of being negative about vaginas. And so I was, when I met someone, I was like, I thought he was fucking with me. That's funny. (laughs) Sex with women. I can say honestly that I enjoyed it, right? If you asked me today if I would go back and not do what I'm doing now, I'd be like, no thanks. I definitely feel better and happier with my partner now. Yeah. Let's say he gets a car wrecked, you know, two days from now. Heaven forbid. Right. But like in the hypothetical where he is not around, I would not go find a woman, I don't think. Yeah. I would probably be with a man. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yes. Being truly monogamous means you really have to pick. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, we've made our choices. Yeah. It's funny, we've talked about the idea of a threesome or something, just because trying to be honest about every, anything we've fantasized about or mm-hmm. what we really want out of our sex life. And I would entertain a lot of ideas if it meant more intimacy and closeness with him. Yeah. Right. Like if the experience was going to bring us closer, I would do a lot of different things. But the risk of a rift or a rupture. When involving another person, to me right now feels too high. I would not want to jeopardize what we've got. So for that reason, I'm not passionate about any of that stuff enough to you know to not take it off the table. Because right now, what I'm excited about is being with him, yeah. and if that means I don't ever have a threesome, I'll be fine <laughs> because I, I still get my person. Exactly. That is so wise, and I really feel like there are stages to every relationship and it really sounds like you guys are still in the kind of like initial you know not the very initial one like you had but uh, threesomes with partners I feel like are for way down the line when like security is all secure and you're just like want to go exploring I don't know that's I'm speaking from a place of just listening to others and my own I've never like really had a great threesome with my own partner but I definitely have been the person that was like okay babe we could try it you know and and it wasn't ideal because it was pushed and it was more about like checking off the item from the list rather than like is this an experience that's going to bring us closer together and actually give us the gratification that we're consciously seeking from it because you can only do that with a conscious partner right and i know inside myself i don't need to have an experience of a threesome i do need to have intimacy and closeness with my forever partner yes because i do without 
like a few things, I'll be just fine. Absolutely. Now you've said that you and he can come at the same time and there's a secret to that? Like you could do it on purpose? It's always kind of a, a challenge to see if we can time it like that, right? Yeah. So one of my favorites is to like put him on his left side with his right leg up and then I do him and can reach his dick while I fuck him. God. And then I time how we're going. And as I start to get closer, I can pay him more attention and then get us to go at the same time. That's so hot. Also, like on a cr- I'm sitting here like trying to imagine it. It seems like it would require an incredible amount of skill. You're moving in so many places. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a little bit of like it only doesn't happen every time. I'm on my knees straddling his body. He's laying on his side, and I'm on my knees. Okay, so you have a little more control. That's still a lot of movement. <laughs> it's a lot of coordination. <laughs> yeah, and I have a lot of fun with that. But and like I said, I'm still hoping for the day when I can we can get a prostate orgasm out of him just from me doing him real good. I'm sure that it's possible. I've been reading about this. I too am learning about it. I feel like eventually it's a matter of time to create the right emotional space, and the physical relaxation will come. That's what I hear. That's what I, hear. I think that's what has to happen. And I think there are some pieces in our life that need to calm down and stop causing external stress. Yes. And then once those have moved out of the way, I think we'll have an easier time too. Yeah. Like, cause you know, like I said, his, his breaks are on more than mine. Yeah. And I think we'll get there. I'm hopeful and more than willing to keep trying, <laughs> you know, totally. I'll practice. No, no problem. I was going to say, even if you don't get there, I bet the practice is pretty good. Oh, well. Nina Hartley says that it's just a matter of teaching penis owners to remove ejaculation from orgasm. And then there can be multiples. Decouple them. Decouple them. Yeah. I haven't done it yet, (laughs) but I hope I can. That sounds exciting. I also have it. It's one of my bucket list goals to give a penis partner a prostate, like prostate only orgasm. But I've talked to people who have, and I've talked to many people who have given them to themselves on the end of dildos in bathtubs too. I've definitely explored trying to do that for myself. I haven't gotten there yet. I'm not sure if you've interviewed anybody who has been trying this, but there comes a point where you like are contracting your pelvic floor moderately, right? You're, so you're trying to fatigue your pelvic floor muscles and it kind of makes them all quiver. Uh-huh. And then when your pelvic floor is all quivery, your prostate gets a lot of stimulation. And so that triggers almost your whole lower body is all wiggly and it's crazy to articulate what that feels like but it's really an involuntary like the trembling and then at some point these trembles progress into like a full body prostate orgasm but i have not managed to get over that hurdle yet that is so cool yeah okay well i guess this gives me plenty of new ideas fun fact i've been too tired to like really come when i got COVID again, even though I'm not I'm not as like I'm really energetic in my brain and I have to remind my body that it's not up to speed. I have not yet given myself like only an asgasm. Like I oh, I get close, but then I mean it's still a clitor. Like asgasms in women, it's still hitting just the other part of the clitoris, but it's still fun to like try a new angle and see if I could do it without, you know, with all these other things. And I usually do just let myself have when I get so, so, so close, then I'll let, let myself ex- have extra stimulation. But that's another thing on my goal. But I won't try it until I'm healthy again, probably. (laughs) Even just like trying to touch myself with hands has been hard. (laughs) Yeah. Is it like all your sensations just wacky? Nothing feels normal? It's a little bit dulled and mostly it's just tired. Like it's just fatigue. It's more fatigue than anything. And then when I'm like touching myself and then coughing, it's like, well, this isn't even fun. (laughs) So I really am just using the time to catch up on old podcast stuff and hopefully organizing the new website. I've made some headway, so... Okay, are there any other sexy thoughts you wanted to tell me? I don't have anything on the top of my mind. I have about 10 minutes if you have any more topics to inquire about or things to noodle on. Man, well, so this is not your job. It's also not my job. But if today in the next 10 minutes you and I were tasked with like a sweet, practical, tangible offering for men, penis owners, in this country of America in particular, what what should we do? How should we tackle this problem? Like angles we should approach? What do you think needs exploring? Not that we have to solve it right now, but... You mean the problem of toxic masculinity? Toxic masculinity. And I think my noodle is, there's got to be a way to like 
really let men know everywhere that not only is it okay for them to feel their feelings, but actually when they share their feelings with me, we have better sex. I get adored. It's less rapey because if I can feel the desire that comes, if I can feel the feeling of appreciation and adoration that comes with the desire, that's good. But if I get desire without feeling, that's rapey. And so that's what I've been thinking a lot about lately. What I would love to hear even just like the conversations that are happening in your head around it since you have such different and important experience. I'm going to use the word men, not to be exclusive, but just because it's easier to talk about. I think we as a society globally and especially in America have come to put a lot of pressure on men to be a certain image. And that pressure makes feelings unsafe. And nobody can feel their feelings when they're threatened. Nobody can experience their emotions or share their emotions or really experience another person's emotions and empathize when they're under threat. And I think what we have to do is make feelings safe for men and not just in a therapist's office. Like we need to make the experience and expression of feelings okay because the world is full of problems for women. But in general, being able to experience and express their emotions is not foremost among them. So I think we need to, you know, take a card from the way that women are permitted to be or or sometimes even celebrated in being and give that same space for men to be able to feel safe, to feel what they feel and say what they feel. And it comes along with you know what, if we go backwards, patriarchy everything because the things that men are afraid to be they're afraid to be often because they're feminine. Yeah. Uh, on some level, we're, you know, attached to a subjugation of the feminine and that we have translated that onto men and said, well, don't be that because it's female or feminine or whatever. So we have to do both things. Like we have to celebrate femininity and all that it is. We have to break down the stereotypes about even what it is to be masculine or feminine. We have to allow men to be full spectrum people by showing them that being a woman is fine and that embodying feminine characteristics is good and that women are not less than. And if we do all of those things together and also let people be gay or whatever sexuality they want to be. Yeah. Or straight and open to penises. Like there's so many good permutations. Then I think we'll start to see men drop some of the maladaptive harmful defense mechanisms that run a lot of America's corporate world, political world, social climate, all that. What do you think is the best like tangible way? Like, because like, is there a way, you know, if your wife, when you had been in that relationship was like, babe, just tell me all your feelings. It's, was that accessible? Like, how do I, like, I've, I'm sort of a sledgehammer. I'm sort of like, get them out. <laughs> but like, right. I understand that's not the method. See, in that's my case, work. I think, I've always been okay at accessing, like being able to articulate some emotions. In the case of being in a relationship with her, it was dangerous to share my feelings because they would get like weaponized against me Got or it. become so like a return threat because it was that was just the nature of that intimate relationship, right? Mm. It wasn't safe. But on a larger scale, the question is how do we make men feel safe? I mean, I don't, I don't know that there's a good answer. I'd also be curious to hear about your experiences with other men because you are a human being who seems to have a great facility putting his internal thoughts and experiences and feelings into words, which I've learned is a special skill because now I go on dates and I'm like, what do you think about this? What do you feel about that? And I realize that now talking deeply with people has ruined my like dating small talk. Like I don't know how to do it. I'm really curious what your interactions with up dudes, especially in moments, in non-romantic moments, you know, maybe perhaps outside of your partnership, that does invite deep sharing. It is hard with men because they feel so much, whether perceived or actual, internal or external threat Got it. when they consider sharing feelings. So it has to feel like a really safe space for a guy to share their feelings. And I've been that person to various men, but you know, that doesn't change the overarching problem. Yeah. I think, yeah, I, w I wish I had an easy answer. I'm no expert. Honestly, one of the solutions I'm learning with my own kids is that it's in the way we raise boys too, because 
we prioritize a whole lot of things in American, like the academic education, but I can tell you the social and emotional learning that I've come to prioritize for my kids and what I've realized that all kids need is so much more important. Like you can learn your math in third grade, but if you get to first without any ability to like relate or empathize or forgive or do any of those regular social things, Mm -hmm. everything's hard. Your whole life is hard, no matter how much algebra you can do. And how many people, especially penis owners, have we met who might be top achievers in whatever thing, but have the social capabilities of a turnip. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, and it's not their fault, right? Mm -hmm. I don't think we need to hate on that guy. And I'm one of them too, just to be really clear. Like I was, I had to work like really hard to do social things. Like I get it. I was a smart person and I didn't have social skills, but I had some, but like, you know, I was on that end of the spectrum for a while. There are other parts of the world where they have learned that and prioritize that kind of learning more highly than we do in America. I cannot stop thinking about the getaway kit at age 50. Was that Josie or Heka? I can't remember. But um, going away to to a study abroad year when we're 15 to 17 seems like it could be a great, (laughs) great thing. Like if that was just available broadly in our education system, I can imagine a totally different country. Wow. Yeah, I think it could be for sure. Just the perspective that you gain. Yeah. Yeah. From being on your own. There's also this sort of swing to pathologize people who have a hard time with their feelings. And it also turns into another form of shame where it's like, oh, you're just emotionally unavailable and narcissistic. And <sighs> like, okay, narcissists don't choose to be narcissists, nope. right? Like <laughs> people are a product of their upbringing for the most part. And while I'm not talking about true, like, sociopaths or psychopaths i'm talking about just people who have different levels of emotional intelligence and emotional education that we also can't swing it the other way and start demonizing or shaming people because they don't have the tools yeah because that doesn't fix the problem it just makes it even more unsafe to now make a fool of myself when i try to feel like no exactly (laughs) we're not going to do that that's and it's just a pile of backlash in an environment where people are like watching the whole time and then commenting in a shame, blame, binary judgment sort of way, because that's how the news has taught us to react to everything. And so I'm really, really hoping for a different way. I really just want to create my little oasis and invite people to come practice feelings and uh, do all that stuff. We'll see. I'm excited to see you make it. It's happening slowly but surely. Creation place is getting built, and then that is the flagship to getting all the 3D stuff. So I'm going to be working on that more. Casey, thank you so much for this update. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. I loved it.